from lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Well, it's so great to be here with you. It is a day of rain and thunderstorms here in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota, but you know we need it because this May is starting off as one of the driest on record for some areas in the upper Midwest. So after that last blast of cold we had last week, which kept so many of us out of our gardens, and now to have the thunderstorms and the rain, which are also keeping us out of our gardens. If you get a minute to step outside, you'll probably find that your garden has just grown leaps and bounds. I know in my own garden, I pretty much missed the peony display this spring. Somehow they went from just shooting out of the ground to full bloom and petals falling off by the time I got around to checking them out the past few days. So that's kind of sad because I love those guys. But one of the plants that's doing just fantastic this year are my big globe allium. And they're one of my all-time favorites because they're so striking. And I'm very pleased that I added more bulbs last fall for an even bigger display this spring. And you know what? I like them so much, I'm going to be adding more this fall. With that last blast of cold we had, I did manage to lose some of my basil. I saved most of it, but it looks pretty tough after surviving temperatures in the low 30s. So I'm hoping that will rebound. But of course, I couldn't stop myself from buying a few extra plants today just so I could have some real robust-looking plants alongside some of those guys that need some recovery time. Luckily, I managed to harvest one last time before that cold snap, so I was able to quick get in one last batch of pesto, and that will have to tide us over for the next few weeks. Some of the other activities I've been working on in the garden this month have included adding compost and tons of perlite to my containers. And, you know, I buy my perlite in these ginormous bags from Amazon. In fact, the bag that I like to get is by Hydro Farm, and it's this 100-liter bag of perlite. And even though it's huge when it gets delivered in this huge box, it's so light because it's perlite. You know, gone are the days when I throw out old potting soil. Now I spend my time in the spring revitalizing my existing soil with this mixture of compost and perlite. And it's so simple, I'm surprised that more people don't do it. And essentially all I do is take out about two-thirds of my soil in my containers and then I add in a third of compost and a third to a half of perlite. And I mix that together and the soil is light and fluffy and healthy and ready to go again for the season. And then anything that I have left over, I mix together in these old recycling bins that I have that have drainage holes at the bottom. And then they're at the ready outside if I need more soil in new containers or window boxes or for other areas of the garden as I go through the year. And that's really my process. It's so simple. You know, back to that perlite that I buy on Amazon quickly too, it's so inexpensive for the amount that you get. The bike, the bag that I buy is, let's see, I'm going to find it here. 
35 bucks basically. And it's prime, so you can get it in two days. And I really challenged myself this year to fill a third of my containers with the perlite. It's so fantastic because it makes the soil light and fluffy. And that means that the soil has more air pockets and more air pockets make for happy roots. And of course, happy roots make for happy plants. I always tell people it's like when your mom used to buy you tennis shoes and she always bought a size up so you'd have room to grow. That's what I think of when I think of perlite in my containers. In addition to giving the roots room to grow, it makes the soil drain so much better. And drainage, good drainage, means that you won't have any of those disgusting rot issues or disease issues that accompany waterlogged plants. Yuck, who wants that? And finally, as I tell everyone, perlite doesn't hurt anything. You know, you can't say that about many things in the garden, many additives in the garden. But perlite truly will not cause any harm in the garden. Whether you spill a little bit on the walkway or you go a little crazy with it in one of your containers, perlite isn't going to hurt your plants. And it's organic, by the way, because it's not styrofoam like a lot of people might think when they see this white light pellet. It's actually volcanic glass. So get on the perlite bandwagon this spring as you're putting your containers together. Finally, don't forget that May is the perfect month for planting shrub roses or trees in Minnesota. And shrub roses really are so fantastic. I just bought six single-petal knockout roses for in the front around my flagpole. And those babies are going to bloom all summer long with very minimal care required, which is really great. Well, I have a fantastic show for you today. And I have to say, I'm so excited to be back podcasting again. You know, these first shows back are actually from my archives, which I thought I had lost on my old iMac. But I tell you what, I hung on to that thing because I just couldn't bear to throw it out. And as luck would have it, I found my way to this great tech guy who was able to help me restore this part of my podcast library. So for the past few weeks, it's been like Christmas listening to these lost episodes. This episode is special to me because I'm always amazed and impressed with the amount of tenacity and perseverance it takes for a gardener to turn their hobby into a business, which is just what Pam Hopner did when she created her own business, Pam's Pepper Jams. It takes a ton of commitment to turn a passion for jam into a business. And after 20 years of making her own pepper jam, Pam Hopner finally took her family and friends' advice and started selling her all-natural jam in grocery stores and online. And in the past two years since this episode was recorded, Pam went ahead and continued to work hard and created the Hot Jam, her new ghost pepper jam that she talks about in this show. In fact, she specifically mentions in this episode how she was hoping to create a bolder jam, a hotter jam for her customers, something that was spicy, but that wouldn't take your head off. And she managed to create it. And so as you listen to this show, keep that in mind because that product is now number five in her lineup. In addition to her medium jam, her raspberry and blueberry jam, and then her hot jam. Pam's journey is pretty amazing, and she's going to tell you what it takes to turn your garden dreams of jam making into a full-time business. 
So welcome, Pam. Hi, Jennifer. So Pam, you and I were actually brought together by our mutual friend, Mandy Meisner. And I met Mandy through blogging on Patch.com. And Mandy met you at her local grocer's earlier in the month. Oh, sure. Yep. Why don't we have you start by telling us the Pam's Pepper Jam story? the highlight of it. I've been making jam for, gosh, about 25 years now and just as a hobby. And um, like a lot of people, about five years ago, I was laid off, spent over a year trying to find a job, couldn't find a job. I'm single. I have a house. Need, I got a hungry dog. So I needed to do something. So I called <laughs> the State Department and said, hey, you know, I make jam. How do you get into this business? So the State Department was your first call. Yes, because they have all the power. There are different ways of selling jam in the state. Um, if you sell at farmer's markets or small local events, there's no real restrictions. You can make it in your home but you do have to have a sign stating that it is homemade. You have to have a license, but not half as much that has to be done if you're selling commercially. So now was canning part of your childhood or was it something that you found on your own? It's something I sort of fell into in the mid-70s. I grew up in Bloomington, and uh, after I graduated and went to college and all that, I moved around and went up to Brainerd and over to Wisconsin for a while and lived on some acreage and had a huge garden. I hadn't gardened when I was growing up, and we did potatoes and tomatoes and all sorts of veggies, and that's when I learned how to can. And I canned and I canned and I canned. Who taught you how to can? My ex-husband, actually. He was from the country. (laughs) He also also taught me how to weed. (laughs) (laughs) Two valuable skills you're still using to this day, right? Yep. But what's really funny, I'm not sure I should share this, but I'm going to anyway, is that when the marriage broke up, I said, I am not canning ever again in my life. And I left all the canning stuff with him, never in a million years, thinking I would be doing what I'm doing now. (laughs) (laughs) I always say life is interesting. Yes, it is, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I resonate with that story because I remember in eighth grade, my mother wanted me to like a a boy named Philip Ebling. And I vividly remember walking out the back door with my best friend, and I said, I will never like that Philip Ebling if he was the last man on earth. And then I ended up marrying him. I was just going to say, that's great. I love stories like that. I love surprises. Yes, they're fabulous. So, hey, I listened to the interview you did on the Smokehouse podcast, and I understand that you really began this journey to your business when you bought your first home. You called it a handyman's delight 23 years ago. I love that term. And you started to garden yourself, growing peppers. Why peppers? Well, I love to cook. And I started out, my garden started out, it took a, went through a lot of changes. Being a handyman's delight, the first two, three years were spent on the inside of the house, so it was fun to get out and start playing in the yard. And again, because I like to cook, I started out with a lot of herbs for cooking. And then I started experimenting with a few vegetables, and then I started growing some peppers. Well, you can only make so much chili, and so I thought, what else can I do with this? So I just took... I went and I bought some Cerdo, you know, your your pectin for yep. thickening jams, and they have recipes on the back. And I thought, well, I'm going to try making some pepper jam. At least do something to help get rid of some of these peppers. <laughs> so that's 
that's how it started. And I just started making pepper jam and just playing with it. And I would give it to my friends and family as gifts. And when the peppers were were done out in the yard, then the, the jam was done. And what kind of peppers were you growing? Oh, all sorts. There were the jalapenos. There were a lot of the hot ones, the habaneros and uh, some Sierra Serranos. And just kind of played with them. Um, I did not use, I just used the jalapenos so in my pepper jams because this is Minnesota. And I knew that I would be stuck with all this pepper jam if I made it hot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you already know your audience, don't you, Pam? I certainly do. I am a native Minnesotan, so I always say that gives me the privilege to make fun of us. <laughs> <laughs> so you are kind of like uh, Robert Frost in that early on you had two roads you could have gone down, right? You could have you could have made Pam's chili, right? Could have done that. Instead, you gravitated to jam. What is it about jam that just really lights your fire? Well, it's not a complicated thing to make, although it is a little trickier than what I expected. You know, anyone who's made jam before knows that sometimes you can have problems with, you know, the consistency, getting mm-hmm. it to thicken correctly and or get too thick. Um, I didn't know any better is the bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that how all the good stories start? It is. Like many things, if I had only known. Yes, Exactly. <laughs> Well, I love the term that you've coined. Uh, you call it Minnesota spicy. So you've got to love it when someone who has never tried your pepper jam, especially if they're a Minnesotan, tries it, smiles, and says, this is great. It is. It's, you know, I've been doing this professionally. I just started my fourth year of business. And it, if I can just get people to try, because you're right, I have people who will actually take a step back and walk around me when they <laughs> hear the word pepper. But nice. if I can cajole them into trying it, nine times out of ten, it's nothing at all what they expected. I do, again, stress that it is made by a local Minnesotan, so that, you know there are no hidden cameras. This isn't a joke. It's not going to be hot. <laughs> and... Again, most people, if they try it, it's a surprise, and they like it, and they they purchase it. And I still get a big kick out of it every time it happens. I always say I've got to get a big bell, and every time that happens, I have to ring it. But I don't think my stores would care for that too much. Yeah, I bet they wouldn't. But you know what? Uh, Just like all entrepreneurs, you can go for days on a great compliment, can't you? Oh, you sure can. It it just... And and it's like any job. Sometimes, you know, you get a little little overwhelmed and tired. And like you say, one nice compliment just takes all that away. Yes. What, um, out of curiosity, I know this isn't, uh, something we talked about in the pre-interview, but what, what is the reaction of kids? What, what have you heard from little kids about your jam? I have a lot of kids that want to try it. And I love that. And I love children anyway. And, um, I made sure that they feel comfortable with it by number one, telling them, uh, you will, I won't make you finish it if you don't care for it. Oh. I think it's great that you want to even try. When I give my samples out in the community, most people are familiar with pepper jam as an hors d'oeuvre on cream cheese or brie. Sure. And I serve it with cream cheese. So I, I will put the cream cheese and I serve it in a little cup and give them a couple crackers. I put, I'll tell them I'll put the jam way over on the side. If you don't care for the jam, just eat the cheese. Hope you like the jam, but good for you for trying. 
I think it's wonderful when anyone tries new things. Absolutely. Now, for it, folks who have never made jam before, and I am one of those people, walk us through the steps that are involved. Essentially, jam making for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was one. Yes, I think we've <laughs> all that, been one at one point, right? Yep, yep. And I'm not an total expert on jam by any means because there's several different ways you can make jam. There's freezer jam, there's cook jam, there's just many ways you can make it. I have never uh, done freezer jam. I've only worked with the cook jam and I haven't worked with any other flavors except the peppers. But, okay. um, right, but there is you have moments and you have bad stuff. I've thrown a lot of things behind the garage. Yeah. I always tell people just don't give up. You can have one great batch and, and then not another. Um, there's a little work to it because you forget when you're buying things, what goes on behind the scenes. In my case, I've got, I would buy my, uh, well, this was when I went into business. I used all my other peppers, but I got so when my business started to expand, I had to uh, start purchasing my ingredients in bulk because I couldn't keep up with the growing, of course. But I would get 40 pounds of jalapenos at a time. And those all have to be, I don't freeze my, my ingredients. So they have to be washed and chopped and measured out and cooked with right away. Oh, wow. So that took hours and hours. I'm blessed with some good friends who would come and help me. So you've got to get your ingredients. You've got to get a good price on your, your jars. Those have really gone up. So you get your jars, and there's a lot of chopping. You've got to sterilize your jars. You've got to cook your jam. You've got to pour it in the jars. I use the inverted method. So once you would get the, the jam cooked on, on the stove, you quickly have to get it into your jars, get the lids on, invert it, invert them for four to five minutes, put them back upright, let them cool for 24 hours. Then you need to take the lids off again, um, the, the band, not the lid, the band, and because there's going to be spillage. And wash and clean that and uh, put them back together. That's basically how you make jam. I mean, you just got to get your fresh ingredients, clean them, chop them up, make your batch. Most, most batches of jam, my understanding, make six to um, eight or nine eight-ounce jars. I'm imagining you in your kitchen with your friends chopping jalapeno peppers. Mm -hmm. What is that like? I mean, do you have to wear a mask? Do you have to wear gloves? I can't imagine. I mean, everyone's got a different level of sensitivity. I personally did not have trouble with the peppers until I got into the habaneros. Um, I do have four different varieties of jam or flavors. Um, some have, my all my jams have jalapenos. Some I did throw in, don't tell the Minnesotans this, I, but I did throw a few habaneros in there. Habaneros <laughs> get a little tougher. And although you really do, you know this, you do forget, there would be, and I would wear gloves. But even with that said, the next day if I rubbed my eyes, sometimes I had a problem. Holy and cats. That when you then when you warm this up and you start cooking it on the stove, whoa. Are you getting <laughs> fumed you, out here? You really got the fumes. Some days it bothered me more than others. Okay. Uh, when I got my commercial kitchen, I would put a heads up as I walked in saying, cooking habaneros today, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
Mm-hmm. So there's the science of making jam, but then there's the art of making jam. What can go wrong, Pam? And then do you have any little tricks to share with folks who are brave enough to give it a go? Because there's lots of flops, stories of flops that are legendary that prevent folks from giving it a try. Mm-hmm. I've had my share of flops. Okay. And I've had a lot of, during this process, a lot of frustrations. The The biggest one was uh, when I first launched my business professionally and I was at my commercial kitchen, the first uh, two and a half months, my jam wasn't turning out and I couldn't understand why I was having to toss it and toss it and toss it. And I couldn't understand why. So I finally started going back to the resources where I purchased my ingredients. Here's the biggest tip I can give uh, jam makers or potential jam makers. Okay. Um, make sure you use pure cane sugar. If it does not say pure cane sugar on the package, it is either beet sugar or a combination of beet and cane sugar. The United States is the only country that does not have a law that you have to speak what type of sugar it is and huh. the percentage. So I went back to my resources and because, you know, you are trying to I was trying to make a living. Of course, you're trying to keep your expenses down. Uh, The distributor I was getting my um, sugar from thought they were doing me a favor, and I didn't realize they gave me all beet sugar. Oh, my gosh. Because it was cheaper. (laughs) So that was very stressful. No no good deed goes unpunished, Pam. Yeah, because that, you know, it was just when I launched my business. I'm rearing to go. I want to get orders out, and I was not getting any jam. Mm. So that that was the biggest lesson I learned, or not lesson, but knowledge. So yeah. I really, people watch that. It's going to cost you more money to get the pure cane sugar, but you're going to have you're going to have good jam. And what beet sugar does, it um, it doesn't cook at those high temperatures well, hmm. and your jam will crystallize. Not only will it not set right. Or in some cases, it looked like it was setting right, but it would crystallize. The sugar would crystallize, become those hard little um, pieces. You had to feel like you were going out of your mind. I did. I really did. Wow. When you're looking at jam and it's cooking, and uh, like if you just casually came into my kitchen and I'm making jam, what are you going to look for? Like what, I mean, you've got to have an eye for this now or a feel for it. What are some of the things that that now you see as an expert that I would not see as someone who is just starting out? Well, you want to, the key to the jam is, again, the sugar and how long you cook it. Um, It's all in the timing. And as you're cooking the jam, it doesn't thicken while you're cooking it. So you can't, I don't, I don't go by sight. You can't go by sight or texture as it's cooking because it's so hot. It's still very liquid. Okay. So it's all in the timing. You know, and there are different recipes out there for that too. It all depends on your pectin. There's many different types of pectin out mm-hmm. there, and each pectin there's a dry pectin that you um, mix in with some of the the liquid, and then you would add that. I never used the dry pectin, so I'm not sure at what point you add it to your jam on the stove. I always use the liquid fruit pectin, and in using that, I would um, cook your jam for you. Bring it to a rolling boil. For okay. about a minute, throw in your pectin. Again, it'll tell you all this in your, your pectin okay. package. So you're following yeah. what it says on there. And are you using a candy thermometer? I'm not. Okay. I do it all by time. Okay. 
thing. You don't have to or shouldn't, but that's how I do it. Okay. You must be um, a good divinity maker. Do you do you make divinity fudge? Uh, you know, I I live alone, and because my schedule is so crazy, I have not cooked like I used to, but I sure like it. No, I haven't made it for years. I, re- I have a vivid memory of making that with my great aunt, but I have uh, memories of her talking to me about the way it looked and then the way it would, you know, thread up. And so I'm imagining mm-hmm. the experience of cooking jam with you would be like that of, you know, ho- cooking with her because of just all the wisdom that you've gleaned through the years. When you first started out 23 years ago, how many jars of jam would you make in a season, in a typical season? And how big were your batch? I made my jam, and this may be coming up later, but I make my jam seven jars at a time. That's in what's in one batch. Okay. My recipe would do one batch, which was seven jars at a time. When I started my business, <laughs> here's what I did the first year. I just did uh, mostly farmers markets and shows and that type of thing, which are very time consuming. But of course, I was doing all the the cooking too. Anyone who has has made jam or canned before, I made almost six thousand jars myself that first year. Wow! I usually start cooking at four in the morning, and uh, in between all of these um, shows, so it's quite a process. And then, how long did it take for you to go from harvest to the jars? Well, I started out. Slow with only about uh, four plants of jalapenos. Okay. And one batch with my recipes makes seven, eight-ounce jars. And I would put, oh, I played around so much. You know, this is going back a ways. I believe I started out with three jalapenos per batch. Okay. And as far as what I would tell people about that too quickly is, because I do talk to, when I'm out in the community, I get a lot of questions from jam makers or future jam makers. And what I will stress with them is not only the sugar, but leave the seeds in your peppers. Hmm. That's where your flavor is. That's where your heat is. And don't be afraid of that word heat. If it becomes too hot, use less peppers rather than take the seeds out because I, I get people who say my jam I just can't seem to get it hot enough and I just keep adding more and more peppers and the first thing I'll ask them is do you take the seeds out and they say yes don't take the seeds out again that's where your flavor is and uh, and as far as growing season this is Minnesota not only do we have a short growing season but our summers are very odd a lot of times yes pepper plants love heat mm-hmm. the hotter the better so it would all depend on when they matured. Sometimes I'd be making jam in June. Sometimes I couldn't make it until, you know, August, September. All depends on our growing season. And here's another thing I learned once I started doing this as a living. Um, not only do I not have the space or the availability to raise my own peppers anymore now that I've gone commercial, our growing season, our peppers are a different heat level every year. Our growing season is odd. The peppers can be hot one year, peppers can be mild the next year. And when you're making a, a business, you have to be real consistent. Yes. People have a flavor they prefer. And if it's milder or hotter than what they're expecting, that's not good. Bite into your pepper, your peppers each year that you're going to make jam to see if they're hotter or milder than the previous year. And then adjust your, um, your recipe appropriately. 
And you can find Minnesotans that are willing to bite into a pepper. (laughs) (laughs) I do. But you know what I always say? I said, I bet if I told everyone there was a can of cream of mushroom soup in these, I bet my sales would go up at least half. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet. That's awesome. We are getting better. I I don't ever imagine we'll be the pepper capital of the world. But I have found that people are more open nowadays. Each year I sell a little bit more of my spicier jam, but people are getting better about trying it. What I found fascinating, the power of TV, is um, apparently Dr. Oz a couple times one month talked about the benefits of eating spicy food, how healthy it is for you. Hmm. I have never had more people trying my jam who wouldn't in the past. Really? I said if I only could have gotten him to be holding one of my jars up when he said that, that would have been great. That would be, hey, you know, he's probably going to revisit that topic. And when he does, you should be there with a jar of your jam. You bet. Wow. I bet there's a lot of people in that industry or anybody who's using peppers owes him a debt of gratitude, right? I bet he got a lot of flowers. (laughs) (laughs) So does it matter when you harvest them? Well, yeah. I'm trying to think. Your peppers, of course, towards the end of the season, you just want to get rid of them. Yes. Uh, When I said I use about three peppers for one batch, seven jars of eight ounces. My peppers that I were using were probably about four inches at least, four to five inches. I I just think it gives them more time to mature and get your seeds. You know, the bigger they are, the more seeds are in there. What happens to the flavor if if they're overripe? I have not used overripe ones. It takes jalapeno peppers, it takes just really just about any hot pepper a long time on the vine to go bad. I guess I've never seen one or used one, a bad pepper. Okay. They don't, get, they don't go mushy quickly, you know, like your bell peppers. Or, yeah. Huh. So they're kind of a different animal then. Yeah, they're much sturdier. Now, I have a few ingredient questions for you. Why red and not green peppers? And then what kind of onions specifically do you like to make jam with? I don't personally care for green peppers. (laughs) (laughs) That's how that came about. Do you think there's a flavor difference? Uh, Oh, yes. Yes, there is. To me me personally, I prefer the red pepper. I think they're smoother. They're they're a softer tasting pepper. This is just my personal opinion. Uh, Green peppers to me have a little bit more punch and I think they stand out more. Mm-hmm. I not only don't I really care for green peppers, whenever I made my jam, this was from the very beginning, I not only look at the ingredients as far as flavor goes, but what it looks like. I think food should be pretty. It okay. should have a nice presentation. And to me, using your jalapenos are green. Yep. And I think the red bell pepper is a nice contrast. Mm-hmm. And as far as onion goes, that's why I also like to use uh, red onions. Oh, you use red onions. I would not mm-hmm. have guessed that. Okay. Yeah. And, and not saying that you have to. These are all just my personal preferences. Yes. Again, I it's not only the flavor, but um, I really believe that food should be pretty. Have you ever tried a sweet onion? And would that affect the sugar content? I wouldn't think so, no, because you you don't, again... There are at least five thousand, at least five thousand different recipes of pepper jams out there. They're all different. They're all fun to try. Everyone uses something different. It wouldn't. I can't. I personally don't use that much onion that it's going to affect the sugar. Okay. But interesting when you talk about the sugar, though. Is um, I do have four flavors, 
And some have, I've had put the addition of berries in them, and some I haven't. They're just considered a pure pepper jam. Um, many people feel that the berry ones are much sweeter. All of my jams have the same amount of sugar in them. Hmm. It, it's what everyone's palate picks up something different. Their, their palate apparently is picking up more of the berry flavor. Sure. And that's why when I uh, someone wants to try my jam, I encourage people, I actually love it, when they try all the flavors. Because just like the word pepper jam is, it's surprising. It's different than what you think or you're imagining. And some people just pick up different things. Some uh, A uh, flavor that is considered spicier than the other to them will seem milder. It's interesting. Do you think, um, like with wine, do you think your jam palate has gotten more sensitive now that you're you're going into this whole hog? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yes. But it hasn't. I At least I haven't noticed. Okay. Yeah, I, I haven't noticed that I've gotten better at that. But, but yeah, I, 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 have, I would assume so, too. I've been a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I know you talked about... Uh, the different varieties you have, what flavor varieties do you offer and what are the different uh, spice levels? I, again, four flavors. The mildest one, and it's quite mild, is it's called medium. There's a story behind that, but I won't get into why it's called medium rather than mild. Um, and that one, most everybody can tolerate. Um, it's my salute to the Scandinavians. Okay. And in my four flavors, there isn't a big jump between all of them. I mean, you don't go to high to low in 30 seconds. Okay. And I have a raspberry and a blueberry, which are the same spice level. Although, again, some people pick up something different than the others. They're just a little spicier than the medium. And then I have a hot, which I refer to as my Minnesota hot. It has great flavor. It's certainly not going to curl your toes or make you cry. Okay. And um, my best sellers are the raspberry and the hot, believe it or not. Mm, I can believe the raspberry. I'm a raspberry fanatic when it comes to jam. Yep, you and most of the state. Now, really? my blueberry is very good. It's my new flavor as of last year. So it mm. hasn't had time to prove itself to go through a whole year of sales for me to do a comparison. Sure. But that's good, too. Sure. I know it'll change and grow. Tell me about the customers that ask for even hotter. Do you get many requests for something like that? I do. (laughs) (laughs) My hope and goal is, like I mentioned before, I'm in my, just started my fourth year of business which is fabulous. I can't believe I'm still standing some days. It is very expensive um, to start and maintain your own business. But when you're in the food business, especially, you've got a lot of inventory. Bottom line is right now, these four flavors keep me more than busy. They do, okay. Both physically and financially. But my hope is that I'll still be standing in a year or two, and then I want to make a spicier hot version. I won't go for that knock'em sock'em. Personally, I, I like to breathe while I eat, and I like to taste what I'm eating. But I do hope and plan to make something with a little bit more kick. So now people, you, you mentioned earlier, people eat traditionally eat your jam on cream cheese and crack. Uh-huh. Tell us about the success your jam has had as an easy hors d'oeuvre, and then follow that up with some of the great ways you know your customers have started to use your products. Yeah, you're right. Most people know it as uh, good hors d'oeuvre on cream cheese. It's also excellent on brie. I also personally like 
the more fragrant cheeses, like your blues and fetas, it's also good on that. But I have a list, and it's also on my website, but I have a list that when I'm out in the community, I hand out that has many, many other suggestions of ways to use it. Not everything, of course. It's just a good start to get you thinking. It's a wonderful glaze, whether on the grill or in the oven, on chicken, pork, salmon, lamb, game, shrimp, ham and turkey. Baste your ham or turkey with it or use it on your leftover sandwiches as a spread. It's fabulous. I even put it, um, you know, with our yams or sweet potatoes, we like to fall back on our brown sugar and butter. Yes. And we put a little bit of that in there. Uh, put a tablespoon or so of uh, jam in it, and it just gives it a little bit better, a little different taste. Sure. And are you and using good. the medium or the hot, the Minnesota hot? What I tell everyone is I have cooked and used all the flavors okay. for everything that's on that list. It really boils down to a personal preference. Okay. They're all good. I've used them all. What I did find surprising, because I never added fruit to my jams for all these years, I created the raspberry because I was being it was being requested. You're being oh harassed God. into it, into starting. It. <laughs> <laughs> they were gently suggesting. Yes, <laughs> but you're but you're responsive. So you, you went out and did it. You figured it out. Yes. Well, here's what I do. I mean, the community. You're my customers. Yes. And whenever I create a new flavor, because actually out of my four flavors, the only one that's still original is the, the medium, which is the mildest. I have dropped, I have gone through so many changes, again, because of the, the feedback. Hmm. And um, they want people wanted berries in it, so I did the raspberry, and then they, people wanted another berry flavored. I did blueberry because it, you don't see many blueberry pepper jams at all. And it's very good. It's actually very good on waffles and pancakes also. Oh, I would have never thought that. Uh-huh. Hmm. And I put jam in my omelets. I stir fry with it. Hmm. It's wonderful on uh, vegetables, your asparagus and green beans. You know, your Szechuan green beans, use the jam instead. Wow. Or add it to your favorite barbecue sauce. I have people who uh, dip your egg rolls and chicken wings in it. It's really fun. Ooh, I bet that is good. Raspberries, wonderful on cheesecake. Hmm. Chocolate ice cream. Yeah, and I'm getting into the naughty stuff. <laughs> so, yes, you know, I when I listened to that other podcast that you'd been on, um, you said a gentleman came up to you and said that he liked it on his, on his ice cream, and it, and it totally threw you for a loop. It did, but it's good. I bet it is. It's like the, the spice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just watching or reading a um, uh, a blog post actually that someone had posted for vanilla raspberry jam, and it, so it's got the, the flavor of cream inside the jam, and it's supposed to be delightful. Oh, like I said, there are just thousands of varieties. They're all good and fun to try. It's it's just a great easy hors d'oeuvre, a fun hostess gift. Just. It's just great. I get a lot of people who uh, I go through a lot in the during the holidays for hostess gifts and stocking stuffers and that kind of thing. I bet you do. Now, one thing to consider, Pam, are jam teenies, which is an idea that Teresa Lowe of Growing a Greener World uh, was talking about all last year. And they're basically martinis, uh, vodka, spiked with a couple of spoonfuls of jam and served in little jam jars, which I thought was a super cute idea and something fun to serve on the patio this summer. So I'm really curious, if you were going to make a jam teenie, 
teeny with one of your jams. Which would you choose to make your jam teeny with? You know, I, I smiled when I, when I saw you were going to ask me about that because that is on my suggestion list, putting it, it in martinis. Oh, you're kidding. But I didn't know it had an actual name, and I think that's so cute, so I'm going to have to change that. I, and how I found out about that is because I have customers who do that and told me about it, and they actually use the hot. Oh, they use the hot. Mm-hmm. Again, my hot is not a rock'em sock'em, but, you know, going on with the... Uh, taking along on that martini thing. Uh, pepper jam's also great in martinis, I mean, in margaritas and Bloody Marys. Oh, now you have, have to tell more about that. <laughs> yep, and again, personal preference on which flavor you want. Personally, I would think, I have to admit, I haven't done it in the martini. Uh, Bloody Marys and margaritas, I would personally stay away from the flavored jam yes. against personal preference, but yeah. I would think you would be better off using just the pure pepper jam, either the mild or the spiciest. Just out of curiosity, as you were talking about in, uh, inventory, this came to my mind. How long does jam last? I mean, really, it's a preserve, but it does have a shelf life, right? It does. Uh, the State Department will let you put, because uh, everything has to have an expiration date on it when we sell commercially, uh, will allow you to put five years on it. Hmm. I personally put two years on it because I just figure if you don't eat it in two years, you're not going to. No, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but that's, I, so I just put two years, but legally you can put up to five years. Jam is a, a wonderful foray into the retail food business area because it is so low on the totem pole as far as hazardous. You go through a lot of hoops to start selling commercially. I can't imagine people who do meats and dairy and you know, that type of thing, how they even pass or have the funds to even get into that area. So bottom line is the jam. I've had people say, doggone, I forgot to put the jam after I opened it in the fridge and it sat out all night and I threw it away. You don't have to do that, really. It's very, it's very low, low hazardous. This leads directly into uh, my next question, which is, how has uh, preserving professionally changed the way you look at food or our food system? Well, it started a little bit before I actually started my business. My, my son was in the military, and he was stationed over in Afghanistan. Okay. And um, he was given a medical discharge because he con- contracted ulcerative colitis while he was over there. Very bad case. So, of course, he's got some, had some dietary uh, limitations. So that's when I really started turning the, to the backs of products and looking at their labels. Um, I've never done that too much. I mean, we all say we want to eat healthy, but I didn't pursue it very well. And I was kind of amazed at some of the stuff that was, you know, in there. Wow. Or some of the stuff, like all of us, what, what is that? You can't even pronounce it. So I started to become aware then. But like you say, when I started making the jam and, of course, taking courses through the health department, what you have to go through for inspections and your product does have to be lab tested. There's a lot you have to do before you can sell or even approach someone to buy your jam. And then, of course, I started investigating jams and jellies, just period, to see what the competition was, sure. et cetera, et cetera. My jam is gluten-free. It's not certified because, unfortunately, like most of the things, you, you know, you could or should do, it, it, it's quite a process and it costs quite a bit of money. 
Okay. Um, so my product is gluten-free, but I was amazed at how many jams and jellies out there that were not. Really? I know. That's what I thought, too. Gluten, Some of your jams, it's yeah. Not, see, when I read that, when I read that your jams were gluten-free, I kind of chuckled because I thought, well, aren't all jams gluten-free? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. You think it's a big trend. Everybody's gluten-free, but no, uh-uh, not true. What are they putting in there, then, that adds the gluten? Well, they've got some jams that put weed in as kind of a filler, I'm assuming. Oh, my gosh. Um, I would have never guessed. And then I use pure cane sugar, which also is, as far as your sugars go, is considered the good sugar. A lot of your jams will have glucose. Oh, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of allergies out there. And, And then I also looked at, if you look on your labels, some jams and jellies are produced in a facility that also processes peanuts and, oh, and sure. dairy products. Hmm. Pretty fascinating. So, mm-hmm. Now, I became aware as I was doing research for this show that the UK is starting to regulate what jam can be labeled as jam, and they base it all entirely on the sugar content of the product. So whether it's a jam or a jelly or a fruit spread or a, you know all the different names for this, is there such a distinction in the United States? As far as I know, not right now. In, in my head, the way I've always defined it when people ask me what's the difference between jam and jelly, jelly is when it's clear, jam is when you have the actual chunk still in it, which is you know what mine is. And uh, they are in the process right now. I don't think they're going to, they haven't quite passed it, but it's not going to have to take effect for a couple more years about bringing when you, your nutrition analysis, you know, on your, your jars. Yes. And then it'll tell you the amount of calories per serving. What's a realistic serving size? Oh. You know, if yep, you got instant potatoes and there's your calorie and fat content. You look at that, but a lot of times we don't really look at the serving size. And if it says, you know, three tablespoons, so that's not realistic. Who eats three tablespoons of potatoes? I don't. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget about the gravy. (laughs) Oh, Pam, I feel so close to you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And then we know what to wash it down with. And a jam tini. A jam (laughs) tini. Well, hey, so, I mean, you haven't been doing this that long, right? You're still kind of a a baby in the jam making world, right? Because you've been doing it about three and a half years. But you know what? I, I like that about you because I think it makes you extremely sensitive to the things that are required for folks who are interested in uh, starting down a similar path. Uh, and you're you're right. I do say the good thing is my the first two years, my especially the first year, my learning curve was straight up. Yes. I just, it was hard to keep up. And, it wasn't even a curve. <laughs> oh, it wasn't. It was the most vertical line you've ever seen in your life. Wow. And, and every, then when I thought I had the ha- handle on it, and I'd say, oh, next year will be easier. Well, it never is. You continue to learn all the time. It has leveled off now, but there's mm-hmm. always something new. There's always something different. What I also, what I would tell people, if you are interested in selling commercial, I don't discourage them, but it is a lot more than you think. Well, I say start and don't think you're going to start in commercial right away. You, We all start at farmers markets and local events. Absolutely. And you need to. You learn so much doing that. Well, you're close to your customer, right? Right. and But you also learn a little bit more in and out. Yes, you get a lot of, you get an idea of what the community is looking for, what interests them, what doesn't. But before you even do that, you do have to sit down and figure out 
are you going to do this as a hobby or you really want to make some money? Because you, then you have to look up and figure out how much does it cost you to make your product? Uh, you mean you got your ingredients in case of jam, um, jars and lids and markets. Now you're going to need a tent. You've got the fire department's going to inspect you along with the health department. You, you have to have a certain amount of weights for that, that tent, that canopy. So there is a, a large investment up front too, but do those, you will learn a lot. Wow. And I was very arrogant when I first launched my commercial business. It took me three months, and I was probably on the computer anywhere, and I'm not exaggerating, 14 to 16 hours every day for three months. And once you decide your cost, you also have to start investigating like similar products, see which ones are out in the community, how much they're getting, how much they're selling for. If you want to make a profit, you know, you, you've got to keep your costs where you're comfortable, and but you can't also charge too much what the market won't bear. Right. So you got to look at it that way, too. Really, what is your goal? And if you are looking at it commercially, you really got to watch those costs. That's that's always a challenge. Everything goes up. I've been fighting and finagling for over a year to keep the cost of my jam down to my customers. Or speaking back, I want to make this point to people. I do not decide the retail price. <laughs> so when you go in the store and you don't like the price, don't blame it on me. I have a wholesale price that I have set for the stores. And each store, and that's another thing you have to take into consideration when you decide your strategy before you even launch, where do you want to sell? Who do you want to sell to? And you have to look at the demographics. And then each store, when you talk to them, a store, you have to have a wholesale price. That's the price they pay you because, you know, there's all these little middleman people that get, they mark up and mark up for your product. Each store is different on what profit margin they want, mark up margin. It can run anywhere from 24 to 50% that the store needs to get before they will bring your product in. That's when the numbers really are important because, I mean, if you're selling a jar of jam for five bucks, but the store is going to sell it for 10, yes. will people buy it for 10? And you said a few comments ago, you said that you were, uh, what did you say, greedy? Not greedy. You were a little oh, arrogant, maybe? Egotistical when I started. Yeah. What do you it, mean by that? Well, I went to all the big guys first. I had no sales history. <laughs> oh, yeah. I said, this is good jam. My friends really like it. You want to carry this jam. I mean, I went to Trader Joe's. I went to all of these. I mean, these are huge national corporations. And bless their hearts, no one laughed actually in my face. But the good news is, after about a week and a half of that, I went, you know what? I think I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> it only took you a week and a half. <laughs> I think I should rethink this. I love so, you, Pam. That's awesome. That's another thing I would encourage people to do. When you start to sell commercially, I, I totally changed my, my business plan. <laughs> Go to the small independent stores for a variety of reasons. Their markup isn't going to be so high, number one, so that they can bring it in. I mean, you know, they will buy it from you and they will bring it in. But they're also very, they're more community minded. So they're willing to take a chance on you. And you don't need the volume as much as you do in, with the independents. And with your large corporate stores, you know, their corporate office can be in California or Chicago. It's the process. You have to send samples in and uh, introduction letters and all of that to the corporate office. And it can take months if you even hear back from them. Your small independent stores, they can make a decision right away. 
Yes. And what I also tell people, and I learned this in my past life when I had a real job, is if someone says no, no is not forever. Yes, that's and, true. And a good case on that because I did approach Cub and they said no. Uh, a year and a half later, they called me and said, we want to carry your jam. That is awesome. That's a great segue into my next question, which is, what is your biggest accomplishment so far with your business? Well, of course, the most exciting was the first store that ever put my jam on their shelf. Yes. I what got was lots that? Of, where was it? Yeah. Little local grocery store just a few blocks from my house called Olmstead Fresh Market. Mm. And I've known them for years. I've lived in Robbinsdale now for 27 years. And I would shop there and then get to know them. And one of the produce guys lives on my block. So anyway, they've been wonderful. So many of the independent stores, Mac and Toons took my jam in without even tasting it. I couldn't believe it. And now they are I do great business there. They're they're located in Waconia. And not just that, but before I even made it through the first year of my business, eight months of doing all the cooking, all the shows, all the markets, and going into some smaller stores, I knew there was no way one person was going to make, can do this. They can't do all of that. I need all my commitments the first year. I have no idea how I did that. I don't know either. I'm tired listening to it. I lost 30 pounds the first four months. Oh, my gosh. And But, again, I'm very fortunate. But, boy, so with that said, now I've had more, I had more stores. I was getting a lot more interest in my jam. Well, again, there's no way I could keep up with that. And I also knew I had to change my packaging again to make it more attractive and more sophisticated. So I went searching for what's called a co-packer. That is someone who... Because I was renting a commercial kitchen, which was very difficult to find and expensive. But I knew I couldn't keep up. So looking for a co-packer that makes jam is very difficult. Um, and if you live in New Hampshire or Vermont or everywhere, but who can pay the shipping costs on that? Sure. And uh, because of the economy, a lot of Minnesota places that did make jam, and there aren't many, they went out of business. Oh. I was very, very lucky huh. to find, as far as I know, and it took me five months to find the only jam co-packers in the state of Minnesota. They're located in McGregor, Minnesota. They all, they're called Minnesota, and they have been there for 35 years. And they've been making jam for 35 years. They actually have a great store. On one side, they make their own wines. Hmm. On the other side, they carry all Minnesota-made products. Yeah, you get on Central or Highway 65, straighten your wheels and just push for two hours. Straight <laughs> okay. north. Wow. Yep. So I called. I got a hold of them. We talked. I've driven up there quite a few times because here's what people don't realize, too. So to be a co-packer, you know, and they've got the, the whole, they've got the kitchen. They have machinery. Like I mentioned earlier, I would make my jam seven jars at a time. They have equipment they can make 400 at a time. So what you do is you sign legal papers, of course, because these are my recipes. But people don't realize, now you have a recipe that makes seven jars. How do you convert that to make 400? Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't happen in the first shot. They were wonderful. And I knew I was going to, and now I have to shut down, of course, during this. And I, again, I've been planning this. I figured I'd work on my packaging and my labeling and all of that at the same time. Hmm. Three months. Anyway, they're wonderful people. We got the recipes after trial and error to where they were the same. They were where I wanted. 
not just flavor, but consistency, because you're working with a lot of pectin now. Yes. <laughs> so that was crucial. Without finding a co-packer, there was, I would have been stuck. And they're wonderful people on top of it. We've become friends. So that's, it's just been terrific. That's the silver lining. You know, there is there is so much more to this than just turning a love for jams into a business. At what point was there ever a moment when you thought, this is insane, I need to stop? You know, if I can't get this one last thing to go, then I'm done. Have you ever had a moment like that? <laughs> many. <laughs> many, many. It, it can be so overwhelming. And... And I know I'm not special or different. Um, like I said, I started this because I was laid off, didn't want to lose my home. Sure. And um, unfortunately, I have no one at home. My, I have one one child, and he's 36. He's been out of the house. I feel so bad for people, young people with families. So that part, I was very fortunate that if I was going to get laid off, it happened now. But my point being is the way I looked at it, I had no choice. I had to keep going. I, I had no backup. And so that kind of helps in a way. Um, but no, I had many, many moments that I was just overwhelmed and tired and and hurt because it's a very physical job too. You know, not making the jam. I got carpal tunnel. You figure you're doing the same movement. <laughs> wow. Hours, hours, hours. So I got that. Hazard, then, hazard of jam making. And now you've got, and I've been my own distributor uh, during all of this. That means that you go to the stores and you restock, you know, and, you know, the shelves and drop it off. Well, each case weighs uh, 15 pounds. I just, I just moved 2,000 pounds last week. And then I have a friend who says, now, do you belong to a gym? And I go, are you kidding me? Don't need it. Yeah. (laughs) I think I get enough exercise. Yeah, I think you do. There's a lot to it, but that's exciting. I just got my, uh, I just hired a distributor last month and I've been putting that off because I'm in, I'm in the process of, process of expanding this year and the distributor, um, I put off because they are expensive. They take quite a bit of percentage and they are the ones who will take it to the store and then drop it off. Um, but there's, there's a lot to that too. Some wow. stores charge you to put it on the shelf. You have to pay to have it on a certain place on the shelf. If you you know when you go in the store and something's at eye level, they're paying a lot of a lot of money for that. It's real estate. Yeah, and so I'm currently in about 36 stores. Those I will keep myself because again, the distributor. This will be my first year with the distributor, which I put off because I couldn't afford it. And I want to see how that goes. And so I'll keep my 37 stores. But we have highlighted or focused on 49 more stores right now. And uh, most of them are in the metro area. But I've got a good following down in Rochester. And we've got three stores down in Rochester that are interested in Cannon Falls. And So you're planning to double your size, basically. Yes. Wow. Yep. Also, That's exciting. That is really exciting. It is. I do sometimes go, wow, <laughs> this is good. <laughs> this is good. What, so, um, have, have you ever seen the movie Baby Boom where uh, uh-huh. <laughs> when I, I think about uh, country ba- or Baby Boom when I hear you tell your story? Well, and I, a lot of people will say that when I'm out, you know, how did you see this movie? And then, of course, I hear, have you ever watched Shark Tank? 
Yes. Oh, I hear that one constantly. And I used to try and explain things to people about really what they don't realize what goes on behind the scenes. And then I finally just would smile and say, yeah, that'd be great. Here's the catch. Even if they blow you off, you still have so much exposure that you get hordes of orders, which sounds great, doesn't it? Yes. Except you have to have the money to make that. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't get paid when someone, and I'm talking about stores, I don't get paid when they order it. I don't get paid when I drop it off. I just got a check from one of my stores from August of last year. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, big corporations, if something gets lost in the, you know, in the shuffle, oh, you have to go through so many different yeah. maneuvers and new software, you know, system to register this and this. But so anyway, I, and I usually don't get paid for a month after I drop off, mm. which is okay to, I mean, you got I do a lot of finagling, a lot of financial finagling, you know. Yeah. And I already have a couple, most everybody is so nice to me. I'll tell you, I've been so lucky, Jennifer. Do you like Mm. Jenny or Jennifer? Either one. Okay. Anything Um, is fine. Yeah. Yeah. I've just been so fortunate and so much support. And so many of the stores have gone out of their way to help me, you know, just Mm. do extra things. So I've been very, very, very lucky. But I do have some stores that I just take a deep breath and go, "You you can handle this. (laughs) Yes, you can handle this. You can do it. Wow. Well, I'm amazed. I mean, do you have any staff? Because, I mean, I'm listening to you going, this woman is marketing. uh, She's purchasing. She's facilities. She's, I mean, you're everything. Honest to Betsy, what do you do? I'm the only, I don't have any staff. You have no staff. I was thrilled when I got um, the cool packer. I, I just, because that I would have been out of business because I couldn't keep up. But all you know, I didn't get any extra time doing that because that that was not only to keep up with inventory, but also to give me more time to get out and market mm-hmm. and do in store demos because that's huge. Yeah. And um, so I didn't really gain any time. But no, it's just me. I did splurge though this year and hired an accountant to do my taxes. Woo! So, yeah, but I've got to do more stuff than that. I, I haven't had a personal life in four years, and no. I get these moments where I go, you have to change this, and right yeah. now I'm trying to do that. Yeah. Well, so you I know, would, a little I balance is always to. good, but, you know, it's hard. You're a solopreneur. Everything's on your shoulders. Um, but it I think is. it sounds like you've, you've, I mean, my God, look at what you've learned. I don't know how old you are, but I'm always surprised at this stage of my life how much I'm still learning and still growing. I mean, yep. not to be cliche here because that's my tagline, but I, that's that's why I picked that tagline because I I was surprised by that when I got to middle life. I thought I'd be all done, you know, like I would be, okay, you're fully formed, off you go. But no, you're you're never done. No, and I think that's good, but I was smiling because what you're saying, when I was 25 and living in Wisconsin, a friend of mine was 10 years old or 35, and we'd go play racquetball, and I remember thinking, oh, I can't wait till I become Carla's age, and I'll just know so much more, and I won't be so unsettled, you know, and I'll just be so more content, and honey, I'm 60, (laughs) and I... I'm still waiting. <laughs> I think I think it's sad if you go through life and don't change. I think that is horrible. Yeah. But getting back to my little adventure going on here, the learning curve was so unbelievable that first year or two that, you know, a couple mornings I'd wake up and I'd say, can we just not learn anything today? Just yeah. today. Can we yeah. just sort of just coast? 
binge watch TV. Yeah, and... can we just be? <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. Lay in the grass. And uh-huh. yeah, we don't get many days like that. Yeah. I don't want to learn anything. I don't want anything to go wrong. <laughs> I just, I just, can we just be? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, that's pretty incredible. So what I am fascinated by is, so you were mid fifties when you started this. 57. You know, and, I think Colonel Sanders was 76 when he started his chicken restaurant. That's what I keep hearing, too, when I have those days where I say I'm too old for this. People throw that up and I'll go, well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> I never wanted to be Colonel Sanders. <laughs> oh, you're Colonel Pepper. You're Colonel Pepper. Uh-huh. Oh, no, man. I thought at this age I'd be thinking about retirement and I'd be sitting on a beach thinking about retirement. Uh, but again, I do whine sometimes because uh, I get tired. But well, you got to whine. Yes, absolutely. Yes, part of life. But anyway, I, again, I'm very fortunate. Wow. Do you have a website, right? And there I, are yeah, ways that uh, people who are listening to our show can get your jam. I do have, like you mentioned, my website. Uh, you know, you can hear my story. You can tab on to, uh, you know, different ways of using the jam. And I do have the current stores I'm in. That's great. And if they want to order your jam and have oh, it yes, shipped I've got to them. the shipping, yes. That's great. I always like to end the show with something personal. What is your favorite jam? And then what is your son's favorite jam? Well, of course, they're all wonderful. Um, <laughs> And I do use them all for everything. But like I think I mentioned before, I do have a couple little personals. I think personal ones, I think, uh, shine a little bit more here and there. It took me a long time to try the berry ones to switch my cooking over. I think the raspberry personally shines on the chicken, pork, salmon, and ham and turkey. I've also used the blueberry on uh, chicken. I had a friend stopping over and I was scrambling for something to give her for a little hors d'oeuvre. And so I took some small chicken breasts, wrapped them up in bacon, and then I basted, I grilled them with some blueberry. Wow. And that was excellent. Um, my son, I always smile because uh, he would not even try my jam for the first five years I made it. Oh, gotta love those kids. <laughs> And guess who's my biggest promoter now? Of course he is. Yeah, he just thinks it's wonderful and everything that's happening. He thinks my jam's great, but I still always kind of smile because he wouldn't even try it. And that gets back to, you know, what we talked about earlier. People sometimes are a little hesitant to try it. When you try it, it's not what you were expecting. Well, I've got four of my own that don't always do what I want them to do. So (laughs) I I can relate. But, you know, it comes around, doesn't it? It does. That's the only thing he's ever done wrong. (laughs) That's the only thing. Hey, did you ever send him jam when he was in Afghanistan? No, but what I did do is, you know, it's too hot over there and they don't have refrigeration. And you hear about companies donating all this chocolate to them, you know, it's 120 there. (laughs) Yeah, good point. (laughs) But I make, I've made for years the homemade party mix. And he absolutely loved that. So I thought this was kind of cute. So I would make him some party mix. And I sent it over. Well, he'd say, well, I shared it with my hooch. You know, the guys in my hooch. He said, and they really like it. So I'd make more and send it. Well, then he was he was stationed in Bagram Air Force Base. Sure. And they ended up putting him in, in charge of morale. So now 
I was making party mix at least 60 pounds at a time. It would take me 10 hours. (laughs) And you'd send it over there and he was in charge of morale. Yep, because he'd hand it out. Well, there's a lot of interesting stories that go along with that because I'm sure he holds the record. They were taking pictures of the boxes and boxes of stuff I would send to him over there. Oh, you're Um, good, Mom. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. But no, I never sent any jam. I What's don't in your party they... mix, Pam? you got to tell us now. You've you've intrigued us. Oh, it's, it's nothing. Well, you know, your Cheerios and your nothing fancy, but it's got a heck of a lot of butter and garlic powder in it and Worcestershire, and I throw in some Tabasco. Oh. And then you have to stir it. You, you bake it real slowly, like, and then you have to stir it. I think it's like 250. Uh, very low heat, but you have to turn it every 15 minutes. And you can edit this out if you want, but usually, you know, I, after a few hours, I'd say, geez, I, I need a glass of wine. <laughs> I'm and, not and then, editing this out. And, it's just and then too I good, turn Pam. on, I need some music. <laughs> I love and you. by the time I was done, <laughs> oh. that music was so loud. Good for you. And a bottle of wine was gone. I don't know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and we're not quite sure what's in that party mix right now. Uh-huh. And I would just go to bed. Well, there you go. And then you'd ship it off in the morning. Yep. Wow. Now, mm-hmm. um, we've talked about your website. That's how they can get your jam. What What is your website again for folks who are maybe going to write it down or link to the show notes later on? Pam's Pepper Jam, all one word, dot com. You can email me through my website, or you can call me directly. I get a lot of people that call me directly, and uh, that number is 763-537-8097. And both my website and phone number are on my jars of jam to try and make it easier for people to um, just let me know what they think. People can get a hold of you, for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today, Pam. This was so special and so fun. Jennifer, I just, the best thing I like about my job is when I'm out in the community and meeting new fun people. I met Mandy and now she introduced me to you. I am thrilled. Absolutely. This is great. I enjoy your company. I love talking to you. And this is a great opportunity for me. So I really appreciate it. You've taken the time to interview me. Well, Pam, <laughs> I feel like I know you so well already. So I look forward to meeting you. And I, I mean, you'll, you'll recognize me. I'm the six foot mama. I'll be the tallest customer you have that day. Probably. You're six foot. <laughs> oh yes. Yay. I'm yes. five nine. Oh, which, you are. Oh, I have been five nine since I was 12 years old. M- me and too. every time I see then. a tall Tall young girl, I I do point out, you know, when I'm out, I go, how lucky are you that you're nice and tall? Because, you know, when I was young, I didn't think it was such a good thing. No, nobody does. No, no. Well, good. Good. I love tall gals. Likewise. Well, thank you so much again, Pam. You have a great day. You too. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for our show today. I want to thank Pam Hopner of Pam's Pepper Jams for being my guest. Just a reminder that you can find the Still Growing Podcast on iTunes, as well as on my favorite app for podcasts, Stitcher Radio. And I'll have all the information from the show today on my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T mamma.com. My website is not only the home for the Still Growing Podcast, but also provides information and inspiration for your home and garden. And if you want to connect, you can find me on facebook.com backslash still growing with six foot mama, or feel free to email me with questions or comments at jennifer at sixfootmama.com. 
Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is an hour-long weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Okay, so we're doing some after-show fun things with the kids again. I'm sitting here with Will, my oldest, who's now 16. Say hi, Will. Oh, hi. Hi, everybody. (laughs) And you're going to, uh, since this show was all about pepper jam. Ooh. Yes. (laughs) We are going to do a little fun fact trivia thing with you kids. Sorry about that. I have to adjust this. It was up too high. Okay, continue. I'm going to start over. Okay, I am. Your voice is a lot deeper than it was two years ago. Yeah, I I guess you could say that. (laughs) Anyway, you're helping out with five little-known facts about bell peppers. That's how we're going to kick this thing off, right? I don't know how a lady could make jam out of bell peppers. I, I don't understand that. That's okay. I have some in the house. And when we host cards this weekend, you know how we're hosting cards? I play with the elders, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to have as an appetizer some of this raspberry pepper jam, which is absolutely fantastic on top of cream cheese and a cracker. Uh, Did Pam send you a special package? No, but I did go to Byerly's where you work and buy some. Oh, yeah. Because you're a bagger there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how long have you been bagging? About two years. Yeah, two years. Good for you. All right. So you're going to help us with the five little known facts about bell peppers that you discovered online in your research, right? Yeah. Okay. So the first question, are they packed with vitamins? Yes. uh, They have more vitamin C than an orange. Did you know that before you researched it? No, I did not. Tell us more. Ounce for ounce, a yellow pepper has three times more vitamin C than an orange. Red bell peppers are the next highest, about one-third less than the yellow ones. Green bell peppers have the least, still more than an orange, about one-half the amount of a, in a yellow one. So, overall, more vitamin C in the peppers. Why do peppers come in so many colors? Uh, so, all peppers start off as green in color, but as they ripen, they change into different colors. They eventually become red, yellow, orange, white, or even purple. As the chlorophyll in the content of the pepper breaks down, the color begins to change in the pepper. Fascinating. Did you know that? Uh, I, I learned that kind of thing in biology, but I didn't know what it applied to peppers. Now you do. So what well-known spice is made from bell peppers? So the well-known spice, uh, paprika, is a powder form of a bell pepper. It can be made from a bell pepper of any color, but it will always be red uh, once it's dried and in powder form. So that's fantastic. So now the next time you're cooking with me and a recipe calls for paprika or pepper, we can use them probably interchangeably, don't you think? Yeah, I'd think so. All right, Will, you found out an interesting fact about peppers and elephants. What did you learn? So I found out that uh, plantations to keep elephants uh, away from their area spray the area with a liquid-based spray that contains chili peppers. 
And um, when the elephants smell that stuff, they kind of they just wander away because that stuff burns up their nasal cavity and it irritates them. Okay, last. Karate. Yes. So I found out that a lot of ancient Japanese samurais uh, used chili peppers uh, to reduce the amount of fear that they felt. Um, they ate them as a part of a ritual meal before battles, which made them feel invincible to overcome their fears. Still to this day. Still to this day. Very right. interesting. Thanks, buddy. Now you have a test tomorrow that you're doing in math? Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's only one page. It's front and back. I'm fine. All right. But All right. Thanks for helping me with my audio issues, too, by the way. Okay, so PJ's here now, and PJ's going to help us with some more fun facts. PJ, how old are you, man? I'm 12. And in about five minutes, you're going to go play your last game of the spring tournament, right? Yes. Are you excited? Yep. Okay. But first, you're going to share some pepper facts with us. Oh, yes. Are peppers vegetables or fruits? Peppers are actually fruits. Why? Simply because they are produced produced from a flowering plant and contain seeds, though most people think of them as vegetable, vegetables. There you the, go. This, so from now on, we need to think of them as what? A fruit. Very good. The very last fact you have for me is who named peppers peppers. Peppers were named by Christopher Columbus. That's fantastic. Well, PJ, you have good luck on your game. Yep. Thank you. All right. Good luck. Bye. Okay. So Emma is here. And how old are you, honey? I'm 14 and a half, 15 in July. So today, what are we focusing on for the kids segment? Today, we're focusing on and celebrating the many benefits of the amazing sweet bell peppers. One of the first things you found out was the etymology of bell peppers. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, The generic name may come from Latin capsa or box, presumably alluding to the pods or the Greek word capto to gulp. The name pepper comes from the similarity of the flavor to black pepper. Many people are unaware of the long list of health benefits bell peppers have, and I will get into that in depth a little later. But first, here are some fun facts you may not know about them. For starters, all peppers, hot or sweet, bell or chili, belong to the nightshade family whose Latin botanical name is Solanaceae. Solanaceae. Mm -hmm. Emma, you took Latin for how many years? I took Latin for three to four years. And that's how you would say Solana Mm -hmm. CI? Yep. The A-E is pronounced like I, like your I. So say it again slowly. Solana CI. All right. In addition to peppers, this family includes garden tomatoes, eggplant, and potatoes. And those are all nightshade family plants or... Solana CI. Very good. All peppers, indeed, all nightshade family members, have what are called perfect flowers. Perfect flowers are perfect because each individual flower contains both male and female sexual... (laughs) Yeah, I know. Hang on. Teenager, Teenager alert. Let's try it again. Here we go. 
<laughs> just a second. <laughs> okay. It's just science. Think of it that way. Okay. Go. Perfect flowers are. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just say that one, please? Why don't you say perfect flowers are perfect? Why is that, mom? And then I'll take over. Okay. Go. Perfect flowers are perfect. And that's because why? Because each individual flower contains both male and female sexual reproductive organs, which would be the stamens and the pistils. It's a pistol. <laughs> I get it. Thank you. Thank you. So many, many plants only have individual male flowers or individual female flowers. But yes. in the case of peppers, they have the perfect flower. So they have both the male and the female parts. So within the complex scope of plant reproduction, it is absolutely possible for certain plants to produce fruits of a specific gender, usually female, but not the pepper. Because the pepper does both. Yes. So before we... Let's talk about this here a second. While you and I were researching the pepper... Yes. We came across a picture that was popular on the internet mm -hmm. that showed what? Um, there was three bumps um, on one bell pepper, and then the other bell pepper had four bumps. On the bottom. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that the peppers that had three lobes on the bottom were male peppers, and that the peppers that had four lobes on the bottom were female peppers, and that people should pick... The female pepper because they'd be a little bit sweeter. But what did we find out about that post? You can't find out the gender of bell peppers. Because they're both male and female. Mm -hmm. So that is, if you go on Snopes.com, that's actually false, right? Yep. So it's an unfortunate thing when those types of images make it around the internet and then people are actually changing their buying habits thinking that they need to be buying the four-lobed pepper when in fact, you can't tell the gender of the pepper. Yep. Let's talk a little bit more about the parts of a pepper. Each individual pepper contains one or more chambers. Locules? Locules. Yo <laughs> Yodelay. <laughs> Locules. Okay. Locules. Yeah. Why don't we just say chambers? Here you go. Okay. Each individual pepper contains one or more chambers. In a central placenta, which is the white pithy part of the pepper, upon which seeds are born, the number of chambers a pepper has is purely genetic and has no impact on saving seeds, sweetness of flesh, or number of seeds produced. You can buy red, orange, and yellow bell peppers, but in reality, all bell peppers are green to begin with. They change color, progressing from green to yellow to orange, and finally red the longer they ripen. Yes, horticulture. Did I say that right? Horticulture? Mm -hmm. Is there a synonym for horticulture? No. Can you do it again? Yes, horticulture has produced seeds for each of the various colors of the bell peppers, and those peppers will turn the desired color faster. But in essence, all bell peppers are green in origin. You don't have to buy red bell peppers seeds to grow them. Plant green pepper seeds and just let them ripen until they turn red. Capsicum annuum. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Say it again. Capsicum annuum. But I Why think annuum. There's only I, one U. There should be two more more than one U. 
but this is the scientific name. Capsicum. How do you say it? Capsicum. On you. um. But there should be an extra you, but I'm not saying that scientists know a lot of Latin, so. (laughs) Okay. So say it your way, Emma. Capsicum on you. um. Is the scientific name for bell peppers, and in Australia they are called capsicums. Okay, and now you had a few facts that you wanted to share with us, right? Yes. I'm just kidding. Yes, I do have some facts I want to share. (laughs) Okay. You just gave me that look. The first bell pepper fact is that it is only the member of. It is the only member. That it is the only member of Capsicum Gainus. Genus. No, Gainus. Okay. We can't say Gainus. No, Gainus. Okay, we can't say Gainus because everybody says it genus. It's genus order phylum species. For this purpose, let's just suspend the Latin. Can we say genus? Please, please. Okay. Okay, let's try it again. The first bell pepper fact is that it is the only member of Capsicum genius. (laughs) Why is it so hard for me? Because you've learned Latin. Genus. Genus. The first bell pepper fact is that it is the only member of Capsicum Jane. Janus. Genus. Genus. That does not produce capsaicin, a chemical that can cause a strong burning sensation when it comes in contact with mucous membranes. The absence of capsaicin in bell peppers is related to a recessive form of a gene that gets rid of capsaicin. It is actually why they are called sweet peppers at times. I wanted to add another pepper fact about jalapenos. Okay. What do you got? Whether orange or green, the jalapeno is the king of Mexican cooking. It takes its name from Jalapa, the capital of the Mexican state of Veracruz. Amongst the world's most common foods by quantity, chilies come second only to salt. In addition to the huge quantities of it consumed, it also wins the prize for highest quantity of vitamin C, higher than any other edible vegetable. Did you know that before you did this research? Nah. What did you think had the most vitamin C? I thought oranges. Very good. Now you learned something. Up top. All right. Send in John. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So John is here and John is going to tell us about a famous person who had a lot to do with how we think about peppers today. Hi, John. Hey. How old are you? I'm 10. Awesome. And who are you going to tell us about today? Wilbur Lincoln Scoville. 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 Google celebrated him in this January. Very good. On his birthday, right? When's his birthday? January 22nd, 1865. And who was Wilbur? Wilbur Lincoln Scoville was an American pharmacist, and he was best known for the creation of the Scoville organoleptic test. Which is also called what? The Scoville scale. Okay, tell us about it. 
He devised the test and scale in 1912 while working at the Park Davis Company to measure hotness of various chili peppers. Really good. Thank you. Back then, he, the only way to determine spiciness of peppers was to have someone to taste it. Would you want to be a volunteer to taste peppers? Probably not. <laughs> so what did Scoville do? So Scoville would dry the peppers and add them to the oil, and then sugar would be added to the oil, and then the dried pepper with the oil was, and sugar was given to the tasters. The amount of sugar added to each pepper is how the organoleptic test worked, and the Scoville scale was born. Before Wilbur Scoville, however, nobody knew how to measure a pepper's heat. So we owe a debt of gratitude to Wilbur Scoville. Heck yeah, we do. <laughs> so John, I'm going to have you take me through some examples of the Scoville scale. What? is the Scoville scale rating for a green bell pepper? Um, zero. That's correct. What is the Scoville scale rating for a banana pepper? Uh, it's 100 to 1,000. All right. And paprika, which is basically made from ground-up pepper, has what rating? 100 to 1,000. The same as the banana pepper. And then you can say, and the pimento is also that rating. And the pimento is also that rating. Here's a good one. How about a serrano pepper? 10,000 to 30,000. So that we're getting very hot now. Yep. How about the Apache pepper? 50,000 to 100,000. All right. And what is... An example of some of the hottest peppers. The Komodo dragon chili pepper, which is 855,000 to 2,200,000. On the Scoville scale? Yeah. That's really, really hot. I know, right? Are there other ones that are just as hot? Yep. The Naga viper pepper. And? Infinity chili pepper. What else? Oh, um, the ghost pepper. Woo! The Trinidad Scorchian Butch Tea Pepper. That's a mouthful, isn't it? I know, right? And what is your favorite massively hot pepper? The Carolina Reaper. <laughs> Should we add that to your meal tonight, John? No, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. I'll have to go to the hospital after eating that one. Yeah, you would. This is fun. I'm glad you like it. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of these hottest peppers in the world. Okay. When it comes to heat, a pepper from Bang Bangladesh. Bangladesh called the ghost chili pepper really holds the world record. It ranks way up over the one million mark on the Scoville scale. These can cause agony for up to an hour. Only crazy people should be able to dealing with those. Can you think of anyone in our family that might be crazy enough to try a ghost pepper? Justin. Uncle Justin. Definitely. Well, now we know what to get him for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. Yep. Peace out, homies. That was fun. You should do that again.